Welcome to the first episode of the Pool Cleaner Hour, a possibly weekly, possibly bi-weekly podcast of various things of various interests. I'm going to be your host, Tinkerbuff from the internet, and for the next little bit of time, I'll be filling your ears with ramblings as you lounge in your mind's pool to cool off or heat up. It doesn't matter, it's your pool. I'm just here to make it comfortable. A quick disclaimer, I'm not an expert. I'll probably pronounce things wrong. Don't use me to skip out on any sort of homework. Just enjoy the ride, and if some piques your interest, use me as a springboard. If I screw up on something, or I do something you don't like, don't be an asshole. Just let me know. So let's have a nice time, and possibly even scooch the envelope. We're talking about mummies this week. What are mummies? What are mummies? They have superpowers. Sometimes they have mental capacities. They remember loved ones and can control sand and bugs. And they have super strength. But are they zombies? No. They're not zombies. They're just mummies. And they don't infect people. They don't spread through biting or anything like that. Which is cool. They don't wander around bumping into walls like a glitched out NPC. They usually have a lot better aesthetics. But more so, at the end of the day... They're just preserved corpses wrapped up like a swaddled baby. So let's get disgusting. The mummification process, first of all, takes about 70 days. So I'm going to streamline it just a little bit here. First thing we got to do, we got to get all of them organs out. Just scooch them all out and get rid of that brain. Anything that's going to rot and putrefy, we just got to rip it out. We even have a special little hook for the brain. It goes right up the nostril. It's a long skinny rod with a hook and it had to be done delicately or naturally it could really screw up your face. So these guys were experts at swizzle sticking the nasal cavity and pulling out the goods. They just cram it up there, swish it around, pull it out with a long hook. So you get the organs out though in a similarly delicate process. You gotta cut just a little bit on the left side. It was typically always the left. And they each get their own little jar that you take out. Except for the heart. Heart stays inside because that was seen as the essence of one's being and Anubis had to weigh that shit later. Some of the later mummies had their organs specially wrapped and put back into their bodies, but the originals had them buried right next to them. Either way, it's a scoop and clean process. Alright, so after we've emptied all of them and put them all in their little jars, we gotta dry the body. We gotta get all that moisture out. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite work the same as like dropping your phone in a bag of rice. So instead, we got to get a lot of salt, just a metric fuck ton of salt. Cover the whole corpse, stuff some of that salt inside, let it dry out, and any parts that might sink in during this process, just find some linens or some old laundry or some old parchment paper. Just, you know, whatever's going to work, just cram it in there. Sometimes the eyes don't stick in the way they should. Sometimes you just got to replace those and occasionally you got to use an onion and you got to you know, get that Sharpie, put on that eyeball, make it look nice for the family. Now we get to wrap our deceased like a Christmas present. And it's going to take a lot. We're talking several hundred yards of linen. 
that's because everything's going to get snug. Even each individual finger is going to get wrapped up. Between each layer of wrapping the body, you're going to give it a nice warm bath of resin and then wrap over it once again. So once they're all snug, our corpse is ready for their funeral. While they're having their deathly spa day, their burial ground was filled with their belongings and whatever else people wanted to make sure that they had with them. Now is coming the most important part of the ceremony, which was called the opening of the mouth. A priest touched various parts of the mummy with a special instrument to open those parts of the body to the senses enjoyed in life, and which would then be needed in the afterlife. By touching the instrument to the mouth, the dead person can now speak and eat, and he was ready for his journey to the next part. So, at the end of the day, living people were actually closer to zombies than mummies ever have been. And I say that because we, as a species, dug up mummies and literally ate them. Check this out. For several hundred years, peaking around the 16th to 17th centuries, many Europeans, including royalty, priests, and scientists, routinely ingested remedies containing these human bones, blood, and fat as medicine from everything to remedy headaches to epilepsy. It's super dumb. At first, it started with just crumbling bits of the corpse into tinctures, which is a medicine made through a solution of alcohol or alcohol and water containing the bits to stanch internal bleeding. But other body parts quickly followed. Kind of like, kind of like breaking a cannibalistic seal. Once they were like, well, we've already drank bone, let's just go for it. The skull was a common go-to, taken in powdered form to cure head ailments, because, you know, head parts equal head parts, so naturally you got to eat the part that's hurting you. So Thomas Willis, a 17th century pioneer of brain science, brewed a drink for apoplexy, which is unconsciousness or incapacity resulting from a cerebral hemorrhage or a stroke. He did this stirring the powdered human skull with chocolate, you know, to make that bone dust really tastes nice. At the same time, King Charles II sipped the King's Drops, which was his personal concoction containing human skull in alcohol. He would also rub corpse powder onto his skin so he could absorb the ancient greatness of the pharaohs. France's King Francis I drank a mix of dried rhubarb and mummy powder every day because he thought it would keep him strong and safe from assassins, though he never indicated why. These idiots even ate the hair. The little bit that remained on the corpse, this actually became a coveted additive. People thought it would cure epilepsy and nosebleeds, if not the hair, then just this moss that would naturally grow on the skull. They would clean that off, and then they'd cram the moss up their nose like a tampon to stop nosebleeds. The human fat that they could scrape off was used to treat things outside of the body. Some doctors would prescribe bandages soaked in it for wounds, or they would rub dead people's fats on patients, saying it would cure their gout. <laughs> Naturally, out of all this, blood was thought to contain the vitality of the body, which is something we kind of still see today. There's several recent news stories of rich people wanting to harvest youth blood to live longer, which is, you know, about as dystopian as it gets. But getting this for mummies was a bit more difficult. If you were poor and you couldn't afford mummy blood at the local apothecary, then you could attend a live execution and pay a smaller sum for some fresh drippings off the executioner's blade. They thought, sadistically enough, that the blood carried the soul, 
and did so in the form of vaporous spirits. So by drinking this, they're drinking someone's soul and stealing their essence and their power, proving once again what we've all known, and that is that the real monsters are living people. Even Leonardo da Vinci had this hot take stating, We preserve our life with the death of others, and a dead thing's insensiate life remains which, when it is reunited with the stomachs of the living, regains sensitive and intellectual life. Insensate means lacking physical sensation or sense and reason, by the way. So they justified it by saying, well, they're alive and their spirit's there, but they're basically a vegetable, so we might as well steal it from them and capitalize on it. The nonsense began dying down around the 18th century, around the time Europeans began discovering things like forks and soap. Forks by this point were no longer considered demonic and weren't as heavily banished by the Catholics. I'm not sure if table legs were still considered too phallic at this point in history or not yet, but, you know, we're, we're getting what we can here. We got soap, and that's nice. Still, though, in 1847, an Englishman was advised to mix the skull of a young woman with treckle, which is a molasses, and feed it to his daughter to cure her epilepsy. This was written down to have no effect, because if you write it down as notes, it's not an atrocity, it's science. Also being sold was a magical candle made from mummy fat called a thieves candle, which could be burned to stupefy a person and make them paralyzed for as long as the candle burned. Usually this candle was the hand of a dead man with one or more fingers made with the fat to burn like a candle. Mummy remains were still being sold as medicine in a German medical catalog at the beginning of the 20th century. Naturally, with human beings being the worst, the desecration didn't stop with just robbing their possessions and eating their bodies. Sometimes, mummy remains would be ground up and used to create a paint on creatively called Mummy Brown. According to an article published by Scientific American, artists would use the paint in their art, and sometimes, sometimes they wouldn't know, sometimes they didn't care about the origin. It was described as the color of umber, which is a dark yellowish brown. This actually didn't even stop until the 1960s, which is kind of fucking wild. The paint wasn't even that good either. It was said to have diminished quickly and faded really easily. But still, the only reason that they actually stopped is because they ran out of corpses that they could easily find and grind up. Naturally, the mummy's curse is something that has been around since the discovery of mummies. Most notably, Tutankhamun's curse, the curse of the pharaoh. When grave Robert Howard Carter opened the tomb of King Tut in 1922, the world lost its damn mind. The media, as trustworthy as ever, went absolutely apeshit with tales of curses and outlandish deaths. A lot of, basically, well, we robbed a grave, but uh, you, you better not, because there's a curse, so you gotta stay away. It's, it's our grave. Stay away from it. Howard explained that he saw something reading... Death will slay with his wings, whoever disturbs the peace of the pharaoh. But apparently never wrote it down, never took a record of it, and any evidence of it is just lost, I guess. And like, Egyptians didn't write out curses like that, that wasn't a thing, and no line of emoji hieroglyphs have ever been found to say something so theatrically cryptic. But... People love the idea of curses, and it makes for really fun Hollywood movies. So people, even after finding this was out, all a hoax, they still ran with it, because why not? We already desecrated the graves, we've already eaten their bodies, let's just double down. But why did King Tut's become the staple of the mummy curse? 
Well, out of 50 people who ransacked the grave, eight people died over a span of 10 years. So, you know, it's a slow-moving curse, and it takes the form of random acts of normal, everyday problems. So, you know, basically Final Destination. Lord Carnivon was first to go, and that's really what set it all off, because his death took place only two months after opening the tomb, and it seemed mysterious at the time, kind of. According to the Smithsonian, Carnivon, the wealthy financier of Howard Carter's expedition, was bit by a mosquito, and then he cut himself while shaving over the raised bite. The cub became infected, and when he died, all the lights in his house turned off. That being said, Carnivon was noted to be very ill for 20 years and was very susceptible already to infections, and this was the 1920s, so an infection in the face, probably going to do it. But how do we explain the bird? What bird? Yes, there was a bird. The day that they broke into the tomb of King Tut, they saw his body was flanked by statues of cobra heads. The locals who were working with Howard Carter were horrified by this, because cobras were the proxy of the king's justice. Later that same day, Carter's pet canary was eaten by a cobra. So, you know, yeah, it's kind of weird, right? Other people died of natural causes, murders by their spouses, illnesses, and just things that would normally kill seven other people over a decade of time in the 1920s. Nothing spectacular or spooky, but what about our old boy Howard, the big cheese that started it all? Well, 17 years later, after achieving global fame and fortune for grave-robbing King Tut, the king finally struck him down with lymphoma. Also, King Tut's penis was mummified in erect position, but he was 18, so it's fine. Scientists and archaeologists have long argued why, and now all that we have in our head, we can thank all of this to National Geographic. They are stating that his dad, Akhenaten, had attempted to focus religious worship on the sun god, Aten, but Tutankhamun's erect penis hearkened to Osiris, the god of fertility, resurrection, and the afterlife. It is said that Osiris was dismembered by his brother, but his wife Isis gathered the pieces of his body, including the penis, and conceived their son Horus. King Tut's mummification may have linked him closely to Osiris to cement the failure of his father's religious reforms. So if you ever want to tell your dad to fuck off when you die, request an erection when you are getting in the casket. Speaking of Osiris, god of the afterlife, also known as the Egyptian god of death, Egyptologist Walter Emery discovered a little statue of our boy during an excavation in 1971. Not technically a mummy, but you get where I'm going. Emery stole the statue and took it home with his roommate. He was taking a shower when his assistant began to hear Emery crying. He found the man gripping the sink in apparent terror. Emery was diagnosed suddenly with right-sided paralysis and was unable to communicate, and then the next day, he passed away. He did have a history of strokes, and it could be attributed to this history very easily, but it could also be a curse. Alright, here we go. Buckle in. Was there a mummy on the Titanic? And did it, in fact, cause the ship to sink? Now, stop laughing, because this is a real legend that rivals the best of 9-11 conspiracies where mummies can't melt steel beams. <laughs> Check this out, though, okay? Like, it's dumb, but, 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 what if? 
One of the passengers who went down with the Titanic was William Steed, a British editor who had spent the previous years claiming a cursed mummy was causing unrivaled chaos in London. At the time, there was plenty of other myths about Egyptian curses and Native American burial grounds and any other thing that's going to freak out colonists with their anxieties towards the people whose lands they had raped and pillaged. So this was super topical. This dude probably heard a thing, went wild, and then thought, I could also cash in on this because what is our core issue with this whole episode? And that is cashing in. So while on board the Titanic, William Steed happily told anybody who would listen about the mummy on board going to curse them all, like an absolute lunatic who has too many thoughts buzzing around in their head and he just has to get them out to anybody that he can corner. After the ship sank, a survivor recounted Stead's story to the New York world, and the media picked it up. The next month, the Washington Post had this headline, Ghost of the Titanic, Vengeance of Hoodoo Mummy Followed Man Who Wrote Its History, which is a really stupid headline. But the so-called evil mummy actually never left the museum in Britain, so that kind of removes the theory, but then again, like, I don't, you know, who knows? There's, it's... It could be. Maybe it was on the Titanic and it swam back. It's not even the most wild conspiracy thing that I have heard, including in recent times. But that's not even the... There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of wild Titanic conspiracies. Some people claim that it never even sank. That's actually one of the more popular ones, is they're saying it switched out onto a different ship, and then this whole convoluted insurance fraud thing, and I won't get into that because it's really insane and it gets complicated, and they also think that the uh, rich dude's forced into sink to kill his competitions. I could do a whole thing about Titanic, probably won't because I'm tired of, I'm tired of it. Uh, there, you know what? There wasn't even an iceberg involved. It was just a mummy, and I think we need we need the mummy cut from James Cameron's true vision of the Titanic, and that is not focusing on Jack and Rose and just having this mummy. But coming back into a slightly more reality, bog mummies. This is a thing. It's bog mummies. There's human cadavers 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 that have been naturally mummified in a peat bog a peat bog is a type of wetland consisting of spongy ground that is composed largely of living and decaying vegetation it's one of those wetland terms if you've ever tried to distinguish wetlands don't because no one knows they just make it up everything can be any kind of wetland from a marsh to a bog doesn't matter it might be a regional thing even then i don't think it is it's like Coke and Poppins. Anyway, such bodies, sometimes known as bog people, are both geographically and chronologically widespread, having been dated back to between 800 BC and the Second World War. Unlike the mummies of Egypt that required an absurd amount of salt, bog mummies, bog mummies often retain their skin and internal organs due to the unusual conditions of the surrounding area. Combined highly acidic water, low temperature, and a lack of oxygen actually preserved their bodies, but hyper-tanned their skin. While the skin is well-preserved, the bones are generally not, making them similar in their preservation to the famous Egyptian mummies. Bog bodies have also been found in America, in the wetlands of Florida, because of course it was Florida. Archaeologists believe that Native Americans used to bury their bodies in a freshwater pond when the sea level was much lower, and over time it's become more of a brackish area. 
This brings us to our crossover event, and that is the Frankenstein Mummies of Scotland. And this is a somewhat recent discovery, and it's insane. Instances of deliberate mummification in Europe are considered extremely rare, but in 2001, circling back to 9-11, archaeologists uncovered two 3,000-year-old skeletons preserved in a fetal position. As these two bodies were examined, what was originally thought to be one male and one female body turned out to be a composite, which is the fusing of different entities to create one. The original male skeleton had a torso, a skull, and a neck, and a lower jaw all belonging to different men. The female body was also a composite of parts, which were a male skull, a different female torso, and the arm of a third person whose gender could not be identified. So, here, this is fun. Carbon dating revealed that the skull of the female mummy is 50 to 200 years older than the torso. Further testing revealed that the parts of these people were from the same families and then put together like one of those crazy uh, family quilts where everybody kind of puts in their own square. So, you're doing that, but with body parts. The testing revealed that these bodies had been buried and dug up repeatedly, showing that the combining of these bodies had to have been a deliberate act. The main theory is that this was done to combine different ancestries of families to create a symbolic ancestor. This could have been used as a way to show people who had rights over the land, resources, and powers by literally showing them how long their family has been there, which is pretty badass in a heavy metal power move. The other theory is that this was done, since it was done in such a primitive time, the head of a body might have popped off during the burial process, and they just happened to have a head and not a body lying around, in whatever Bronze Age massacre just happened, and they tossed them together to look nice. Personally, I think that's a little more ridiculous, and it was probably the coolest family tree ever. I'd be so much more inspired to do... <laughs> it's the best my heritage research is to just dig up a body and be like, oh yeah, this is your, this is your lineage. All right, so now we're at the Chinchoro mummies, which I am almost certain I'm pronouncing wrong because it's from Chile, and there's no way that it's pronounced that way. But these are actually some of the oldest known human-made mummies in the world, dating back 7,000 years, which make them 2,000 years earl older than the oldest Egyptian mummies. They did a similar process of removing the organs and stuffing the body, although they would use reeds or sticks and clay. They painted them black or red, and we're not sure why, and they gave their faces some custom-made masks and adorned them with elaborate wigs. The Chinchoro people didn't leave behind any written records, or if they did, they were just lost to time and the elements. But something really cool about their culture was that everyone became a mummy regardless of rank status wealth or anything like that even stillborn babies were mummified according to archaeology magazine the chinchoro seemed to honor all human beings whether they contributed to society or not paying particular attention to those who never achieved their potential in the minds of these people life as a mummy may have been viewed as a second chance so at the end of the day mummies they're pretty cool, but, like, can we just leave them alone? They're literally just people. It'd be like if we went to our local cemetery and dug them up and started raining to the newspapers and, and telling them to talk about these evil curses and, and talk about how people's dicks were mummified. And maybe we should eat grandma for extra, extra strength. And I could lather their skin. You know, we called Ed Jean crazy. 
and he did this exact same thing. But I, time plus tragedy equals comedy, I guess. I don't know. That's all I got for this, guys. I wrote down a lot here, but um, I didn't fill an hour, which is fine because that's fine. It's episode one. So if you made it this far, thank you for sticking through, and I hope you enjoyed your time. If you didn't make it this far, then you're not hearing this. Follow me if you want on Instagram at Tinkerbuff underscore or on Letterboxd at Tinkerbuff for all kinds of movie reviews. And a very special thank you to Squatch Ronson at the Backwoods Radio Show for helping me out with the basics of podcasting and just being a really, really swell dude who does an incredible show that I highly recommend you all check out for a good time. All right. Well, I'm going to sign off. You guys have a good night or day or whatever it is. Let me know what you thought. Um, or don't. Either way, I have another episode coming out soon. I'm hoping to do this either weekly or bi-weekly, just kind of depending on what is possible. All right. Goodbye. <laughs>